Good evening, and welcome to Red Barn Radio. Wherever in the world you're listening, welcome to Roots Music Southern Style. To WEKU, Red Barn Radio's official radio partner, NPR for Central and Eastern Kentucky. Listen online at WEKU.org. Red Barn Radio is presented with the financial support of LexArts, Lexington, Kentucky's premier cultural development, advocacy, and fundraising organization. LexArts, working for the development of a strong and vibrant arts community as a means of enhancing the quality of life in Central Kentucky. And by Visit Lex, Lexington, Kentucky's Convention and Visitors Bureau. Planning to visit Lexington or just looking for more information? Visit Lex is on the web at visitlex.com. Well, hello, good evening, cheers, however you greet. 
We are glad to have you with us on Red Barn Radio, and we greet you. I'm Brad Becker. This is Season 19 of Red Barn Radio, and tonight we welcome you to show number 733. This evening, we bring to the Red Barn stage George Jackson. George is a Nashville-based fiddle player who tours as a band leader and fiddler for hire, working with artists such as Front Country, Peter Rowan, Missy Raines, and many more. Born in New Zealand, George grew up in a musical family and first heard bluegrass music around the age of 14. Immediately falling in love with the style, he started trying to work out how to play it from recordings and from the few mentors he could find in New Zealand. Moving to Australia as a 16-year-old, he won the Australian National Bluegrass Championship on fiddle three times and toured the country with his bluegrass band, The Company. Join us in welcoming George Jackson with his dear friend Frank Evans on banjo to the Red Barn stage. Thank you. 
And I really would like to go back to uh, your early days. One thing that jumps off the page is that you were riding around in a bus uh, with family music happening. Quite a sort of hilarious upbringing, really. I mean, it sounds kind of like made up or something, this whole, you know, living in a house bus, traveling around the country, playing in a family band with my, my parents. You know, it's, a, it's all almost cliched or something. But, but um, it's real. But it's true, it's true, yeah. I suppose we moved into the house bus when I was about nine, so um, I clearly remember it. I had been at at primary school for four years. Uh, Sorry, elementary school, as you would say, for four years. My parents, who were also musicians, they had started to spend a lot of time away from me and my brother because they were, you know, touring around the country and um, they just decided this isn't really sustainable, so what do you do? if you want to keep doing it, you take them with you. So um, they bought a house bus and we moved into it and started doing sort of correspondence school through the New Zealand correspondence schooling system and eventually kind of ended up playing with my parents uh, in, in their show because, you know, I would otherwise just be sitting side of stage bored. So why not come on and play a couple of tunes? At that stage, I was playing electric bass and uh, my brother was playing drum kit and djembe and... Um, my parents were playing electric violins. It was a whole, uh, in comparison, you know, like I'm kind of like really taking a, a, a step back in time uh, with what I do these days, <laughs> you know. Um, my parents were really into kind of uh, contemporary fusion fiddle, I suppose you could call oh, it. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. But we're going to do this waltz here that I wrote. Uh, it's kind of um, named after the spot where Rachel and I got married in 2018. Um, and... This is called Barn on the Bend. Thank you. 
we talked about this a little bit before the program, that business of naming instrumentals. Like you say, you could throw any name on it, and everyone would kind of believe you. Uh, whatever story you told about it, I guess. Yeah. Is this sort of a soundtrack for something from some sort of sensory experience of Chicago? I kind of came to the conclusion a little while back. I suppose when I was writing tunes for Time and Place and I was thinking about how to name instrumental tunes and what that even means, I kind of came to the conclusion that where you are and what you're doing is no doubt influencing you when you're writing that tune, right? I suppose because sometimes people will say, other people that write tunes um, will say, oh, I wrote this for this person, or I wrote this for this waterfall or whatever. And I never really found that I wrote tunes for things. I just kind of wrote them, and then they were there. And I was like, well, what do I name it? Well, I think that like, whether you're conscious of it or not, you're influenced by what's around you and what's going on. And so I decided that the best thing was to name the tunes about what I was either doing or where I was or something around me. That was no doubt influencing me at the time of writing the tune. So when I think about uh, the Chicago tune there, you know, we were in Chicago for some of the summer. You know, I was sitting on the porch and it was the middle of COVID. All I could really do was sit on the porch and play fiddle tunes. And uh, I wrote that one with, uh, with this little album project in mind. When I think about writing it, all I can think about is the little neighborhood of Chicago that I was in. So uh, it kind of makes sense, you know. Was it an urban or suburban I suppose suburban. It's like technically, it's like one block out of the city limits in a suburb called Oak Park. Pretty suburban little area. People walking their dogs and riding bikes by, and oh look, there's there's a some dude playing the fiddle. That's weird. My wife grew up there, and um, it it really seems like kind of uh, it's an interesting little neighborhood there. Oh yeah, a lot of Frank, all the Frank Lloyd right there. Yes, yes, indeed. Amazing, amazing area. I know it's uh, like I've never, uh, being from New Zealand, I I'd never really seen suburbs quite like that. You know, the everybody gets out and uh, you know waters their little grass patch, and you know Uh has the manicured little grass lawn and their little. (laughs) I suppose in New Zealand it just rains so much that everybody's lawn's taken care of. (laughs) This is a really fun little tune here. Got my four-string fiddle and cross-G tuning. So we'll play the Chicago tune.
Well, my parents were, um, you know, both fiddle players, as I said. My mum my was really into Celtic music, and, um, and then my dad had sort of been in the New Zealand army and had somehow gotten into uh, sort of American string band music in the army that had some bands, and um, he'd ended up playing in a lot of sort of Australian bush band type settings as well, which is another sort of different type of sort of old-time string band, I suppose, that, that was popular. The, the bush band. Yeah. No, that's, that's not a term we hear here. Like, it, it's essentially a string band. It, it's a little bit maybe looser in mm-hmm. instrumental makeup, although, you know, you'll probably get some scholars objecting to that. Um, <laughs> there's, you know, like fiddles and guitars and banjos, you know, mandolins, any sort of plectrum banjo or banjo mandolin or banjo ukulele. Often there's like a percussion element, like a, a lagophone, as it's called, which is basically like a big stick with a bunch of bear caps on it that you like shake and kind of stomp on the ground, you know. And full uh, exponents of the lagophone over in Australia, you know, they sort of stomp and hit it and, and it makes a percussion, percussive thing. Doesn't get, doesn't get uh, brought out too often, but Frank and I um, and a bunch of other great musicians recently... Uh, decided that while we were still kind of not doing too much, we would uh, all get together and spend a couple of days just putting down whatever we wanted in the studio. And uh, we had a lot of fun. And we recorded, I think, 21 or 22 tunes in two days, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> which was totally wild. And this was one of them. What's it called? It is called Handsome Johnny in the Speakeasy.
But then my parents together, that, you know, I feel like that was the 90s and it was like electric violins had just come out and there was a lot of kind of world fusion music going on that included, you know, a lot of Celtic music with rock sounds or African sounds or uh, different sorts of fusion. So my parents were kind of into that, that sort of thing. And I feel like in, in some ways, culturally, the world has kind of moved a little bit away from that in the last wee while, but who knows, it'll be back, I'm sure. Were you all traveling around from festival to festival? And what was the character of the, the festivals that your parents were playing at? You know, New Zealand's a small place. These days, there's about 5 million people in New Zealand. But back when I was young, there was only, you know, close to 4 million, I suppose. There's not a ton of festivals, not a ton of stuff. You know, we would play at, at a lot of, like, arts council places. Mm. and But mostly what my parents did, and it was quite sort of ingenious, really. One of the biggest lessons that I learned from them was be successful musicians professionally even in a circumstance where you know it's a small country and there's not a lot of opportunities you know to be a fiddle professional fiddle players they uh, did a lot of schools educational music programs in schools so a lot of what we ended up doing was traveling from school to school teaching kids about fiddle music, showing them how cool violins could be if you put it through a distortion pedal with the electric violin. That was my dad's little uh, little trick there. And, and they thought, oh, that was pretty cool. So maybe the violin's not so dorky after all. <laughs> so that was a lot of what we ended up doing. And we, when we moved to Australia, it was to, um, to join up with like a school's touring program. So we did a lot of sort of family band touring in Australia as well for Arts Council that, that toured uh, shows through schools yeah so you traveled a lot then a lot had you spent a lot of time in australia prior to the time that you moved there no no um i mean it's fairly free movement between new zealand and australia i had visited once you know to go to the theme parks new zealanders love going to australia you know because it's warm there and new zealanders get a bit sick and tired of wind and rain although new zealand is gorgeously beautiful there's a sort of settledness to the Australian weather that is very appealing to New Zealanders and beaches and, and theme parks for, for kids. So I, the first time I went was Movie World or Dream World or something. We moved over there. I was 16. Hadn't spent a lot of time in Australia, really. I lived there for the next 10 years. Wow, until you were 26. Yeah. Yeah.
We're back with more Red Barn Radio after this break. Red Barn Radio, roots music, southern style. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Red Barn Radio, recorded live from the Arts Place Performance Hall in Lexington, Kentucky. Red Barn Radio, roots music, Southern style. Well, I've got a case of the blues, and I've had them all day long. That's why I'm feeling sad, that's why I sing this song. I got the blues. I got the blues. I got the blues. I got the blues. It's the worst kind of blues, the West Virginia coal miners Yeah. 
By the time you were 16, were you pretty proficient at fiddle? Well, I mean, I started violin very young, or fiddle, as the case may be. I really started getting serious about it and really interested in it when I was 14. So that was a couple of years before we moved to Australia, and I met a young girl there who was about my age at the time. She was just starting to learn the banjo, and we kind of would have some jams and we started listening to bluegrass music because my dad had some tapes around, you know. I think that my, my parents' um, car broke down and we borrowed this banjo player's car, actually, and he had a tape of uh, Bela Fleck's album, Drive. You know, it's a classic album. I, there's many a player in my generation who, um, who were inspired to take up music or bluegrass music specifically because of that album. My dad had some tapes of... Daryl Anger and his band Psychograss. Oh, wow. That's really funny to me because, you know, me and my friend Bibi, who is a banjo player, and she is a great banjo player who lives up in Boston now and has a band called Mile 12. Her and I were trying to work out this bluegrass music together, but at the time we thought it was just, uh, you know, instrumental fireworks. You know, we thought that was all that bluegrass was, was like incredible instrumental tunes <laughs> which you know it is a lot of the time too but we had no idea about the kind of song aspect of it or the kind of deeper roots or you know even things like you know Bill Monroe or Earl Scruggs were really kind of foreign to us even though you know to the the regular bluegrass listener that would uh, that would be the absolute fundamentals being so far away we just had what we had and we had to kind of figure it out and we you know it was a it was often a process of working backwards from there Thank you. 
the song, uh, I don't actually sing that often, but um, I really love this song and, I'm, and I want to give it a little go here. Um, it's a song that I, I discovered through this fantastic playing of one of my favourite uh, Scottish folk singers, the amazing Dick Gawkin, and uh, he's just incredible. And one of the uh, vinyl records that was lying around my house when I was growing up was uh, one of his just an absolute seminal album of his called uh, A Handful of Earth. So this is a song from that that I've kind of made into a little bit of an old-time fiddle ballad, I suppose. Um, and this one is particularly sort of talking about uh, class struggle, I suppose. And although the song kind of references, you know, it's, it's sort of historic in, in the way that it um, talks about the class struggle, um, I think it's really relevant today and particularly... In this last year, we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of examples of that, you know, with corporations and things just uh, absolutely making bank while the working people are really suffering. So um, this goes out to all the workers out there. Stop. We're the first ones to die. 
and all these things that the worker has done from tilling the field to carrying in the gun we've been yoked to the plow since time first began I have always expected to carry the can Tall night and day, by hand and by brain, to run your pay, who for centuries long past, for no more than your bread, have bled for your countries and counted your dead. Frank Evans on banjo, and you came from Canada. Uh, I've been living in Toronto my whole life decided that there's no time like the present to move down to Nashville. So the full story was my girlfriend and I had been planning to move to Nashville for some time, and it turns out that uh, the last summer all of our work was canceled. And so she's a musician as well. plays. In oh, a, she is? Yes, yeah, a great fiddle player. And, and so we just sort of bumped up the timeline of when we... We moved, and we're settling in and, and having a great time so far, getting to play lots of music with George and uh, meeting all kinds of amazing folks there. So looking back on it, it feels like the right move. Yeah, right. I first got into the banjo, I was about 10, I think, 10 or 11 years old, and I was sort of, both my parents are musicians. My, my They're both classical musicians. My mom uh. has sang in the Canadian Opera Company for many years, and my dad plays in a symphony, the Niagara Symphony, and they were trying out different instruments on me. They weren't pushing me too much in the classical world, but... The first instruments I started playing was the piano, and I played the flute a little bit, and it wasn't sticking. And then, you know, I went to this concert called the Banjo Special, and for some <laughs> reason, that instrument just clicked with me, and I don't know why, and they, they don't know why either, you know. Um, it was an uh, odd path to take, but after going to that concert and deciding that I want to play the banjo, I actually got a banjo and started taking lessons from a banjo player named Chris Cool who plays in a band called the Lonesome Ace String Band. He sort of took me around to a couple of the jam sessions in Toronto, which were, you know, quite uh, high-quality jam sessions. He said, you know, if you really want to study this music or learn more about it, you got to go to the festivals. And so, actually, uh-huh. the second or so year of me playing, he, he said, well, why don't you come down to uh, Clifftop in West Virginia oh. with me? And so I was about 12 or something the first time I went down there. And he took me around to all the jam sessions, and it was uh, quite an eye-opening experience. Uh, uh, no doubt, yeah. Yeah, and so I just really got into old-time music after that and would you know, make a trip every year going down to West Virginia. And sometimes I'd go down with Chris, and we would stay with some friends along the way and play tunes. It was just sort of this annual kind of pilgrimage. And so that's really what sparked my interest in it, and I've uh, just sort of been doing it ever since. And Chris was a guy that your parents, your family, obviously trusted. I, I guess so, we, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they entrusted my, you with My him. parents came down a couple of times, actually, it was sort of on and off when they had come down, and it was sort of a family trip. They ended up sort of adopting some of the style into their playing as well. So my mom started playing guitar, and my dad plays old-time bass and stuff like that. And oh, all right. My brother started playing fiddle, and he plays in a, like an old-time string band now. And so it caught on. That was the first one. Way to go. <laughs> ¶¶ 
was often a process of working backwards from there that was kind of interesting, you know, and, and in some ways that's what ended up taking me back to old time music because I started out with contemporary bluegrass and kept kind of looking back and gradually sort of getting further back and learning how to appreciate and enjoy that music and then when I found old time music that was a whole nother revelation so um oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're listening to bluegrass that is sort of Kentucky goes to New England and right, California right. <laughs> and reinvents itself a little bit it yep, becomes yep. right sort of more progressive Sam right. Bush was you know like totally right up in that whole thing and um you know so there's all, always that Kentucky connection there Kentucky through that and but yeah, totally. Sam came and played one night on Red Barn. Oh, wow. Which was great. So cool. So between 16 and 26, you grew, developed, and sort of maybe found a voice of your own on the instrument. I've been simultaneously really interested in playing bluegrass music, obviously from right back to when I first discovered it and, and was really obsessed with trying to learn how to play it. You know, I've been very interested in other types of music along the way. I would never really call myself a jazz musician, but I did study jazz at, at university. Mm. And then there's the, the Celtic music part, which I, I was still very actively playing like Scottish music on the fiddle into my early 20s. You know, at a certain point, I kind of felt like I had to like focus in on a style <laughs> if I wanted to, you know, really. That's how I ended up kind of, I don't know, that kind of fell by the wayside just in, in my focus at least. The more that I... I feel confident uh, to kind of like let all of those influences come out. The more that I feel like that's, it's nice to forge my own path a little bit with not being shy about those influences. In the way that American music is a melting pot of, of so many different players and cultures, I feel like being a New Zealander, you know, although it's very much a, another white English-speaking colonial <laughs> culture, <laughs> uh, you know, there's at least some influences that I've gathered along the way that I can kind of throw in there too. So, you yeah, know, just indeed. adding to the soup, adding my spice to the soup, you know, I feel feel like that's uh, that's part of the fun, I suppose. Well, that, we recorded this song and it's just truly one of my favorite songs and it just happens to be called Frankie, you know, no coincidence that it's, yeah, yeah. my name's Frank, but we also made this record that George was talking about earlier with a couple of friends of ours throughout the pandemic and we recorded a track called Georgie on there so maybe we'll have to do a set of Frankie and Georgie Frankie you know and Georgie together yes we should have
Thanks to WEKU, Red Barn Radio's official radio partner, NPR for Central and Eastern Kentucky. Listen online at WEKU.org. Red Barn Radio is presented with the financial support of LexArts, Lexington, Kentucky's premier cultural development, advocacy, and fundraising organization. LexArts, working for the development of a strong and vibrant arts community as a means of enhancing the quality of life in Central Kentucky. And by Visit Lex, Lexington, Kentucky's Convention and Visitors Bureau. Planning to visit Lexington or just looking for more information? Visit Lex is on the web at visitlex.com. Red Barn Radio's executive producer is Ed Commons, who also directs our show. The music for this episode was mixed by Adam Schettinger. The Red Barn Radio playout theme, Wookie Foot, was taken from a live performance of the Wooks here on Red Barn Radio. More at wookoutamerica.com. Red Barn Radio, roots music, southern style. The best music from the roots of the South and sharing this music with the world. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Kathy Stamps. We would like to thank George Jackson and Frank Evans for being with us this evening on Red Barn Radio. We also thank our volunteers and staff for their help in making our production happen each week. Thank you all for listening to our webcast, watching us on YouTube and Twitch, and those listening to us on the network of Red Barn stations and media worldwide. Red Barn Radio comes to you from our home, the Arts Place Performance Hall, in downtown Lexington, Kentucky. Our website has updates and further information on our guests and our program. We're on the web at redbarnradio.com. And now, George Jackson, do you think you could play out one more number to send us home with? Absolutely. All we right, can do that. good. Well, we'll, uh, we'll finish with a raging old-time tune here. This is just a bit of fun. It comes from a Missouri fiddler named Bob Holt. This one's called Rabbit in the Pea Patch.
Red Barn Radio is a production of Red Barn Radio, LLC. (laughs) 